Capital, inviting you to join us. Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app. listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Physical Culture, Music, and Art. I am Vincent Metzo, the Dean of Discipline, the Dean of Personal Training, and the man with the face for radio. <laughs> we are here today with Joanna Menenses from Body Roots and Body Roots Resorts, Liquid Roots Retreat Leader and Self-Proclaimed Karaoke Queen, Joanna is an 18-year full-time fitness pro, and she combines movement in ways that make you forget you're working. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Vince. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for joining us today, Joanna. So, with physical culture, music, and art, we like to look at the connections between people who are in fitness and people who have had artistic creative performance or music backgrounds of that kind. And obviously you fit that bill. So you have had an interesting uh, career and journey artistically. I was wondering if you could tell us what got you into performing and what sort of performing were you doing? You know, go back if you need to, to little Joanna. Sure. I think probably growing up in a uh, Portuguese household, a very large, crazy Azorian Portuguese family, I uh, was always very into being the center of attention, I think. <laughs> I always loved putting on little shows for when family came over. I had a ginormous family. My mom was one of nine children. Wow. Excuse me, mm. 10 children. She was one of 10 mm -hmm. children. And then you can imagine my aunts and uncles and then their children. Mm -hmm. So we were all very close. And whenever the families would get together, which was very often, the kids would always just get together and play and we had some older cousins and we always had these ideas of putting on shows for when a big family feast would happen or a holiday. I remember we there was three of us, me and two of my uh, female cousins, and it was summer, but we only had these very heavy uh, tweed kilts that all three of us had the same one and these very thick turtleneck sweaters. But even though it was summer, yes, yeah, so we could match. And we did this routine probably in July to kisses. Are you ready? Kisses. Uh -huh. I was made for loving you, baby. Like completely oh, wow. choreographed. Uh -huh. When kiss went disco. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. When kiss went disco, like we're talking uh, back in the 80s. Yeah. So I was just, oh, and, and I love to make people laugh. My mm -hmm. father was uh, uh, very sarcastic and funny and witty and quick. Um, and I grew up around a family that a lot of family that also was. And I 
suddenly would be sitting with these big earphones. <clears throat> I can imagine what they'd be worth now at a vintage shop in Williamsburg. <laughs> um, my brother bought himself this huge stereo uh, record player. And I remember listening for hours to the cassette, which was Eddie Murphy's Delirious. Oh. And I don't know if I have it memorized still, but back then I definitely had it memorized. Yeah. So I wanted to be a comedian. My dream mm -hmm. was to move to New York City and take Saturday Night Live by storm. Awesome. So you came by way of Canada then? So you moved from, from the Azores or from Portugal? From the Azores. From the Azores yes. to Canada. Yeah, so the islands off of Portugal, the Azores, there's mm -hmm. nine little islands. Uh, I was born in Terceira Island, uh, so was my entire family. And uh, my father and mother decided to immigrate when I was two years old to Canada, so just outside of Toronto. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I was always just a small town slash island girl with big city dreams and dreamt of coming to New York and doing theater. So came to New York chasing that uh, for an 11-week theater program in the West Village on Bank Street, the Uta Hagen School. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yes. I had mm -hmm. a third cousin. Right. Also Azorian descent mm -hmm. that lived in um, Massachusetts. And um, she was living now in New York City. Her family was in Boston. She was living in New York City. Um, and I just reached out to her. She was in Queens and I reached out to her. I said, Hey, do you have a couch I can crash on for mm -hmm. a summer? And she said, yes. And suddenly here I am 22 years later. I never left. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Now the, the thing at Uta Hagen, was that specifically a comedy thing or that was just a general scene study acting thing? Yeah, it was not. Um, when I was in Canada, um, Finishing uh, high school, I wanted to go to McGill University in Montreal to do their theater program. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very well-known theater program and very respected. Um, I couldn't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. So I went a little closer to home, uh, to Oakville, um, just outside of Toronto, and did the musical theater program because that was the only thing there. Uh -huh. So I liked to sing. Uh, mm -hmm. but again, I was badass karaoke singer. Uh -huh. I don't know about but classically no, no. trained, oh, okay. but it was wonderful mm -hmm. because that really did prepare me in so many ways for what I think is the triple threat that, mm -hmm. you know, there was singing, there was movement and there was scene study and acting and delivery. So that was, that was amazing. Um, so the, I was introduced to um, Respect for Acting, which was a very famous mm -hmm. book at the time. Um, and then it was then and there that I started dreaming about, oh, I'm going to go to that Uta Hagen school in New York and train there. So they had this amazing 11-week um, theater program where people could come from all over the world. And that's what ended up happening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as actors, they often say that dying is easy, comedy is hard. Mm -hmm. So what how did the comedy come up then? You know, you're doing, it sounds like musical theater and stuff. And then when, when did you get this idea for Saturday night live? And uh... it was always that mm -hmm. it was never the singing and um, acting. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but I just always felt like I, I, it was all about making people laugh. And I just, 
loved that aspect of, you know, there was so many, uh, let's say, I didn't even think about stand up as much as I thought of the skits and the scene study. And I went through all of Second City in Toronto and I really Mm -hmm. just loved the improv. Um, So it was always comedy. I think that having the opportunity to go to Sheridan College in Oakville and learn because that was the only program available at the time really made me uh, appreciate more the the triple threat and and how it's all encompassing mm-hmm. um but the the comedy always came much easier to me than the actual mm-hmm. drama uh-huh yeah uh-huh yeah so then you come to New York to do this Udahagen thing and you decide to stay. How did you get into fitness then? How did that end up becoming your career and main source of income? So coming to New York uh, as a young adult, I think at the time I was um, 26. Um, how do you survive in New York City? You serve tables. I had already been doing that in Canada. Um, so I got a job in the West Village as a waitress and then soon after got another job as a bartender, which was the really cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. And that's how I would pay my bills. But 13 years later, and this is including the time that I was in the service industry in Canada as well, I was working for a Mario Batali restaurant, uh, Lupa. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, I just really wanted to hit somebody over the head with the specials board. <laughs> and I decided, you know what? It might be time to look at doing something else. It was just so difficult to try and hone your craft and audition and put yourself out there and, you know, study while you were working till three or four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, the money was great. You know, you always had tip money mm-hmm. in your pocket. And, and theoretically, you have time, except it's not necessarily the the right time or the time that coincides with your biological rhythms. Exactly. So I decided I was always working out from the time I was 16. I was always trying to drop some pounds so I could be, you know, the perfect body, the model body. Uh, for theater and television or whatever it was going to be. Um, So I had always been training since the time that I was 16, you know, killing myself on cardio machines and trying to figure out how to lift weights and things. And I was a member at the Carmine Recreation Center in the West Village Uh where I was living. And that was a $25 a year membership. Yeah, back in the day. Back in the day. Although parts department is still pretty cheap it was, and it's yeah. it's pretty mm-hmm. amazing for yeah. someone that doesn't have a lot of money and you know the boutique sh- uh, studios and gyms were not around at right, the time right. um so it was amazing and a friend of mine also um a performer and i we we held each other accountable and we would go five days a week we would make it to the gym and we would lift the rusty weights and <laughs> try and you know do something on their cardio machine, I think. And there was one little group fitness um, room, um, but I was not into group fitness. Back Mm -hmm. then, it was step or spinning Mm -hmm. and was not into, you know, moving with a whole bunch of other people in a room. And I didn't like either of those modalities. So 
as we were passing by, I think on our way to the cardio machine, um, I saw the group fitness schedule and the word Pilates was on it. And everyone was talking about Pilates. Models were talking about it. Actresses were being interviewed about how do you, you know, what do you do Mm -hmm. to stay in shape? This word Pilates was just everywhere in New York. This is back in 1998. Mm -hmm. And I was really curious. So went to work and asked my friend who was the chef at the restaurant at the time, Melissa. Love you, Melissa. Uh, (laughs) Melissa. Shout out to Melissa. Shout out to Melissa. Melissa, what? is have you ever heard of this Pilates thing? What is this Pilates thing everybody's talking about? She's like, you know, a friend of mine is going through like the training right now to become a teacher and she needed bodies. So I went, just thought it was kind of crap. Didn't really mm-hmm. feel anything. Melissa was a runner and she went and supported her friend a second time. And suddenly she was running six miles a day to running nine miles a day without even blinking an eye. So she fell in love with Pilates, didn't quite know what she was doing. But that was enough to convince me to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. I got to class. Um, I'm assuming the girl was probably in the process of getting certified. Uh, We rolled around on our spine. We Mm -hmm. did some twisting and some flexing. We reached for our toes. We did some odd rolling back and forth. I don't even know. Now I know what all the exercises Mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. But I left there feeling longer and more energized and like I could breathe in the New York City July polluted <laughs> smog. I don't know, but I thought, how can I do this? Get my ass out of the restaurant business and have time to actually study and do what I came to New York to do. And uh, I went online and one of the first things that came up was Stott Pilates in Toronto, Canada. I researched the only other studio that was offering certification here in New York. They weren't as organized. It would be very smart of me to just go stay with family for the entire Mm -hmm. year of the comprehensive Stop Pilates program that they offered. And everything was wrapped up in a pretty anatomical bow. All the equipment apparatus done within a year. Um, And then I basically had no money when I was there as well. So living with a cousin and commuting about an hour and a half each way to get to downtown Toronto Mm -hmm. from where she lived. Um, So I just got so many hours with, you know, Moira Stott and all of the original master trainers for Stop Pilates. And I fell in love with it. I just really fell in love with it. And because I spoke a couple languages, they Uh offered me um, to travel um, I my first job was in Bermuda and I was there for six months and then someone asked if I would train for them in South Africa. So I got mm-hmm. picked up and went to South Africa and then I was invited back to Toronto to become a master trainer. And that was about two years after my original um, certification as a Pilates instructor with Stott. And then suddenly it was Brazil and mm-hmm. Portugal. I was the first one to go teach in Lisbon, Portugal and my native tongue. I remember um, getting the phone call and hanging up and flipping out. And the first person I called was my dad. Uh-huh. I said, I just want to apologize for all of the names I called you behind your back <laughs> when I was 15 and 16. Uh-huh. And you forced me to go to Portuguese school Wednesday evenings after school and Saturday mornings. I didn't want any of that. My brother didn't have to go. He was you know, older uh-huh. and he was a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to thank you, Dad, because 
because of you, I am now not only traveling the world, but I'm traveling the world paid and doing what I absolutely adore doing. So, yeah, that's uh, how that's that so all started. Awesome. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. I pinch myself. I'm not going to lie. I uh-huh. pinch myself telling the story. Like, it still doesn't feel like this This happened to me. Yeah. So you speak Portuguese, English. Do you speak French, too, because of Canada? Or you didn't learn French? We learned French in mm-hmm. grade 9 and 10. Okay. Je suis parlé mm-hmm. français un petit, petit peu. I've mastered that accent, and that's uh-huh. all I can basically say in French. So I speak Portuguese, mm-hmm. I speak uh, English sometimes, and I speak Spanish because Portuguese is so close to Spanish. Uh-huh. And my time in the restaurant business here in New York City. Oh, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I learned to speak Spanish with all the boys from the kitchen. That really helped me. Uh, Before I went into the Pilates program in Toronto, I thought, whoa, I was unexpectedly in New York now four years after that original Uta Hagen program. And um, I was sitting at Lupa with a friend of mine, Alex, and we were having a glass of wine after after our shift. And she said, where are you from? And I said, (laughs) the Azores. I was always saying that very proud because most people, Mm -hmm. most Americans had no idea what the hell that meant. I usually get, where? The Ozarks? No, (laughs) a little further than that, the Azores. She's like, I'm pretty geographically savvy and I've never Mm -hmm. heard of the Azores. Where is that? And I said, they're nine little islands off of Portugal. I love being the first Azorian most people meet. It's Uh pretty awesome. (laughs) So um, she said, let's go there. And I said, I think we should go there, too. But I had never been anywhere other than the Azores in all my Mm -hmm. adult life besides moving to New York and, you know, maybe a little trip to uh, Boston to visit the family road trip with my parents. Um, So but I need to go somewhere else in Europe first. She goes, "Okay, where? And I said, Spain. Spain was Mm -hmm. top of my list. So from that day on, we got second jobs. I got the job at um, the uh, sporting club downtown on Franklin Street, Mm -hmm. slinging beer and working at Lupa, fine dining to slinging beer. We worked double shifts for about eight months each and saved money for a two-month trip. So we did all of Spain, and that was back in 2000. So we got like a 2000 brand-new sports coupe, diesel. And I thought, okay, I can't really afford to have the car the whole time, so let's just get the car for a couple weeks, and then we'll take trains, you know, and buses. We basically spent a good three months looking for the perfect backpack because we knew we were going to be, you know, walking and and taking buses and things. Well, we never got rid of the car. It was so affordable. We would just throw our backpack in the trunk of the car, and we slept on all four points of Spain, three of which in our car. It was Uh amazing. So we traveled all around Spain, got to the south of Portugal, jumped over to Lisbon, and then flew to the Azores to meet my dad because after he retired, he would spend every summer there in our family home. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your mm-hmm. question because I sometimes go off on a tangent. No, no, that's Did I? fine. So, yeah. And we'll we'll come back to the Azores and what you're doing now. Um, I wanted to give you the opportunity to do some spoken word. I know you used to do comedy and write comedy, but now you've been doing some more poetry. You up for doing some poetry for us? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to move over here and uh, set up Facebook Live and then I'll count you down and we'll begin. Okay. Hang right. on. 
just want to warn people that this isn't funny. <laughs> None of it is going to be funny. I'm uh, quite the paradox. My poetry, my influences have been people like Leonard Cohen. So it's like okay. this. Do you want to put the hat on? Do I want to put the hat on? Sure. Do I need these things? Well, you can tip them back if you want. I can tip them back. Okay. Yeah. Thank Vince. You like my there fedoras. Yeah. Well, if it puts you in character. All right. Okay. And, That's good. Okay. Uh, whenever you're ready. Great. Do you want me to look at the yeah, camera? You can get in your mood. Get in your space. <sighs> Break me with no choice. Mold my thoughts tied to your voice. Stand above me with sweat amidst your thighs. For now that you think you've known me, keep your eyes open and watch my pulse and I rise. Shortest thing I've ever written. <laughs> Very nice, short and to the point. Now, does that have any... Was there any influence of the Pilates and the exercise in that with the sweat part? No, that was no. written um, way before I ever got into Pilates. That was one of the very first things I wrote uh, living in New York City. Um, uh, that just came, that was influenced from a, uh, um, a love interest Okay. That I met walking mm -hmm. down the street in New York City one day. It was like a year. I was only in New York a year. I was living in Queens, and I was on my way to my bartending gig on Grove Street in the West Village. And, you know, when you're walking down the street, it was a gorgeous day. I think it was, you know, spring. And you're walking down the street, and your pace ends up always coinciding with someone else's. Either you're mm -hmm. a little bit in front or they're a little bit in front. And then suddenly we were both at the stoplight. And he was carrying two cans of paint. I'll never forget it. I'd say he was at least 15 years older than I was. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, it's a gorgeous day, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And he just had a really cool vibe. And my initial reaction was, what is this crazy guy talking to me for? <laughs> because I was in New York, you know, you're, you're just always on alert about trying not to get mugged or things. Or so you thought. Um, and then we just started a conversation and we ended up becoming friends and uh, he and I started um, hanging out and talking poetry and um, that's when I was always into Leonard Cohen from a very young age. Not only is he um, <clears throat> from Montreal, Canada, but I got into Leonard Cohen, I think, discovered him when I was 18. Fast forward to about 26, 27, um, meeting this gentleman and... Uh, got into Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. He really liked Bob Dylan and he knew that Bob Dylan was one of Leonard Cohen's um, influences. influences. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to take a brief commercial break here. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. You can make a donation on the website to Radio Free Brooklyn. It is fully tax deductible because we are a 501c3 organization. And we're going to take a quick minute to hear from our sponsors at FitFo Products. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about how your artistic and performance training translates into your Pilates and how maybe your Pilates has influenced your more recent writing. Want to know my secret? I can eat all I want and still lose weight. 
That's right, girl. I can have my cake and eat it too. I don't have to spend hours in the gym and I don't have to deprive myself of the foods I love. Sometimes the old ways are the best ways. They use leeches in plastic surgery now and they use maggots to fight infections and amputations. Well, I'll tell you my secret. Cystota tinea sodium. That's right, a tapeworm. We're really close. Don't tell Kim and Chloe. It's our little secret. Tapeworms are the easiest pet stone. This kit gives you everything you need. Instant live eggs, manual, and feeding instructions. Your results may vary. Each worm has both male and female organs. Selling worms and separating colonies may be illegal in your area. Please consult local laws and ordinances. Do not consult your doctor before using. They'll commit you. The purchaser does hereby release and hold harmless FitPro products. Their officers, officials, agents, and or employees with respect to any and all injury, disability, death, or loss, or damage to person or property resulting from the use of this product. All right, and we are back. Those are our friends at FitFo Products. If you're looking for a new weight loss program and we're going to ask joanna a few more questions here and then we're going to get over to our next guest roger harvey who is going to talk to us about switch playground so joanna how is it that your art background you went to school for performing you talked about this triple threat idea how does that mindset influence your exercise and fitness, your teaching, et cetera? I realize that it does so more now after all of the years of learning different modalities. In the beginning, when I was first Pilates certified, it was all Pilates all the time. I had a very sophomoric attitude. I think a lot of young trainers, when they first get their first certification, it's just that. That's the only thing. That's the best thing. And I was like that for about six years. Um, I remember meeting our mutual friend, um, David. Right, at Dave Ganulin from yes. Kettlebell Concepts and now in Tragedy Square. Love you, David. Plug, plug. Um, and uh, he was at a conference, one of those ECA conferences in New York City. I was working for Stott at the time and I was walking around <clears throat> looking at all the different uh, fitness toys that were available. And David was at the Kettlebells, Kettlebell Concepts um, booth. And he asked if he could show me a demo. Um, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, people are going to kill their backs swinging these things. You know, uh, but it was only maybe six years later, I was running the Pilates program at the printing house uh, in the West Village. Um, a friend of mine, Darius Garko, who I believe was born with a kettlebell in his mouth, he <laughs> and I started doing a barter. Um, he was so open and knew the importance of just, you know, understanding how to blend different things together. And he was always very creative. And that's when I realized that the Pilates root, the anatomy was the seed. All of those principles allowed me to add power. And then slowly but surely, I started getting back into my weightlifting and did a lot of kettlebells and met you, which was awesome. And then TRX. And when I uh, lucked out on the uh, live workspace that I have now downtown, um, hung a TRX, got the Pilates equipment. Then I took my uh, I was I was practicing yoga for about, I don't know, five years before I decided to to get certified in that. Um 
And it, only when I started training with Jason Crandell for my advanced yoga teacher training, my 500 hour, there were so many things that he said that I was ready to hear. And one of them was learn your body's technique, but then don't be afraid to use it. All hell broke loose when I got back home from mm -hmm. San Fran. I started playing on the Pilates apparatus and making up shit that felt so good <laughs> because I knew planes of motion. I knew deep interest. Intrinsic muscles. I don't know how to say the word, yeah, but yes, muscles, it's there. <laughs> um, so I just started making up different flows and balancing my body in different ways that felt like art to me. Mm -hmm. And then I would put music on and it didn't feel like a job. It didn't feel like work. It never really felt like work. Like, I love what I do. I know how lucky I am to have done it now for 18 years full time and travel the world teaching it. But to be able to blend all of these modalities together and understand how that feels to me like play and then putting music on and choreographing it. Suddenly, 40 minutes or an hour has gone by and I've created these pieces that I can now teach my clients. And when I see it come to fruition and I realize how they too are so excited to feel the blend together and not feel like, it's another 10 reps. It's another three sets. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody that comes to me is training to be on stage in a bikini, um, not taking anything away from natural bodybuilding or CrossFit or any of those mod modalities that are no pain, no gain. But that's I, I'm 47 years old. I've never felt better. I move my body in ways that feel good. I listen to my body and body awareness is something that I think <clears throat> Uh, I'll never forget reading this. Uh, another girl that taught me a lot about proprioception and body and feeling your contact points to the surface and the floor, uh, Marlo Fiskin. I did her flow training and um, read uh, something that she said, which is body awareness is easily the most undervalued element in movement. And it's true. And that too is a skill. But if people just take the time and have a little bit of patience to learn their phenomenal evolutionary machine, which is their only medicine, their only magic pill, then there's nothing you can't do with your body or there's no class you cannot go to and say that modification is not for me or I'm being a bit of a wimp. I'm going to push myself a little bit further instead of just copying what you're seeing. There's an Instagram post Every other scroll, which is people in things like backbends, you know, girls or guys that are able to stick their nose up their ass because they're hypermobile that way. You know, that is not the average body. And just knowing your body, knowing if you're hypermobile, and that's one of the hardest things to manage. But knowing that is huge. It'll change everything. Knowing if you're, you know, imbalanced in a certain way. That's what's going to keep you moving and your one magic pill, your one health insurance, which is our mind and body for as long as you absolutely need it. Wonderful. So this is Joanna Menenses at bodyroots.com and Body Roots Azores. And Joanna, thank you so much for coming and sharing your time with us. We're going to take another quick break. And then we have our next guest, Mr. Roger Harvey from Switch Playground. PCMA. 
along with the founder of Crunch, Doug Levine. So, Roger, let me say that again, just in case I think, unfortunately, my mic wasn't on there. We're here now with Roger Harvey, CEO of Switch Playground. Roger's the former COO of Crunch Fitness. He was there for 13 years and helped to build the brand, along with the founder, Doug Levine. Roger, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, Vince. <clears throat> Always great anytime I get to see you. Oh, thank you very much, Roger. It's great to see you today, and thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. So, Roger, I, I know that your mother was involved in the arts, and I want to come back to that. But I wanted to start off by talking about your career in fitness. How did you get involved in, in the fitness industry, and especially at the level that you're at now and doing the type of work in the industry you do now as opposed to what you were doing when you started? Okay, it's a big question. I'll give you the concise answer and we can dive deeper and go jump down some rabbit holes if we'd like. Uh, part of it was by process of elimination. I went to the University of Michigan and I enrolled as an engineering student. <clears throat> and I discovered after about a year that I hated engineering. And it was a real problem. It was a real problem because I was investing too much time playing cards and drinking and having fun and not enough time in my studies because they didn't hold any passion for me. And I realized after spending a term on academic probation that I needed to do something differently or my life was going to go down a completely different path than I had intended. And I started looking around at the University of Michigan's other alternatives instead of the School of Engineering. What else was there? And I discovered this thing that at the time was not yet a school, it was the division of kinesiology. And within it, they had a few different degree programs, physical education, sports management and communication, and movement science. And I transferred, I worked hard, got my grades up well enough so that I could then transfer out of engineering uh, into the school, the division of kinesiology. And I didn't even know which of those majors I was most interested in. That was another process of elimination, but I just began to immerse myself in that process and that course load and followed my passion. And <clears throat> I discovered that ultimately I have a, a purpose, which I've found and really became aware of in recent years, which is to help other people. And if that's your purpose, then the field of fitness is a great place for you to be because that's what you do. You're here to help others, help make people feel better, help them enjoy their life more. And luckily for me, in the, in the, the, over the course of time, I've been lucky enough to be in management positions where I've had the opportunity to also be able to really contribute to people's careers in their career advancement mm -hmm. in the field of fitness. So that's the short version. I started out in engineering, hated it, discovered that I had this passion for something health-related, <clears throat> and uh, 30... Five years later, here I am, and I, I found my real niche, which seems to be in the management side of the fitness industry. I've, I have my movement science degree. I've been certified in a number of different modalities, 
but that's my passion, really getting deep dive in, in helping others. How did you make your way from Michigan to New York? Was that always the plan or that just kind of happened? And what was your first job in New York? <clears throat> my first job in the state of New York was working at a summer camp. <clears throat> so when I was in school, I thought to myself, well, I might want to become a physical education teacher. That was one of my alternatives. And if that's what I might want to do, then I should learn more about it. So I sought out a job working as a summer camp counselor in the Catskill Mountains, Camp Locanda. Shout out Camp Locanda. <laughs> and um, that got me to the state of New York. My mother was originally born in, in the New York City area. She grew up in New York City and in Connecticut a little bit. So she's a New Yorker. Um, and so I think a part of me was drawn to a larger city. I'd grown up on a farm in northern Michigan, which is similar to how my father had grown up on a farm in Iowa. And so I sort of connected with both my parents' paths that way. <clears throat> and that got me to New York. I worked for four years during the summers, including the year after, or the summer after uh, I graduated from college. Now I'm in New York. I have a car loaded with everything I own. I have mm -hmm. barely enough money <laughs> to get anywhere. Um, and I thought to myself, I want to go to a big city. So it's either New York or California, L.A. Actually, at the time, thought I would prefer L.A. because I really don't like winter. I grew up in northern Michigan. Mm -hmm. I've had enough winter. Enough <laughs> winter to last a lifetime. Exactly. But the the car that I was driving at the time, which I affectionately had nicknamed the Terminator because it was sort of <laughs> falling apart but kept going, I wasn't confident that the Terminator would get me all the way to L.A. Plus, I didn't know anybody there. So I had no place to stay. And I was uh, lucky enough to uh, that my friend Jason... Um, his parents also worked at the summer camp I was at. Jason and I had become good friends at Michigan. He was the one that recruited me to Camp Laconda. His parents were kind enough to offer me their couch until I found a job. And then that first job was a physical therapy assistant job on Long Island. And then I rented a room in an off-season house in Atlantic Beach, so about as far from Manhattan as, as you can mm -hmm. get. But the physical therapy wasn't where I wanted to go. Uh, my first job in the on the island of Manhattan <clears throat> in fitness was working the front desk at Mid City Gym, uh, uh -huh. owned by Vince Consalvo. Um, it's changed locations since mm -hmm. uh, they're on Forty Second Street. They're on Forty Second Street yeah. now. Yep. But mm -hmm. I started in the original location on Forty Ninth Street, and so that was my mm -hmm. first job. Uh, three or four days a week, I'd come in from Long Island, uh, part time work, uh, just to get some experience in the uh, in the fitness business. And mm -hmm. That's where we went from there. Awesome. And then you started working. So you went from working the desk, well, from doing physical therapy, assisting to working the desk at a commercial gym. How did you work then at the corporate fitness center at World Trade Center? That's right. It was the executive fitness center. It was at Three World Trade. That was the hotel that used to sit in between the two towers. So I started there in December of 19... 91, I started uh, at the Executive Fitness Center, and my first job there was a fitness counselor. So essentially a personal trainer, but it was really a lot less on personal training, more on doing fitness testing and assessments mm -hmm. and getting people started with their programs, a very corporate mm -hmm. clientele. And were you doing the YMCA step test, or were you doing the Submax bike test? Bruce Treadmill what? test. Oh, you were using the Treadmill sure, test. Sure, Bruce awesome. Treadmill test. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, really enjoyed that job. I worked with a great group of people there as well. Um some of whom I'm still in touch with, which is great. Others who I look forward to reconnecting with because the team at the Executive Fitness Center was just terrific. 
And I learned a tremendous amount from those people. And they were the ones who gave me my first opportunity in management. So at some point, I was promoted to being the fitness director. So now I was managing the team of trainers, which was great. Uh, everything was going along swimmingly. And then September 26, 1993 arrived, and the World Trade Center was bombed for the first time. And so the, uh, the bomb literally went off under the hotel, which is where I was working. It was... It still gives me goosebumps mm -hmm. when I talk about mm -hmm. it because uh, the bomb had gone off, I think, around 10 or 15 minutes after 12 noon. I had finished eating my lunch in the cafeteria in the sub-basement of the hotel below the fitness center at 12 noon. Um, the people, the I think five or six people died that day in that bombing, and they were all on that sub-basement or sub-basement area. Wow. So. 15 minutes, I, I tell the story I tell, and it's true because I used to, I used to sit down there. If I didn't have an appointment, I might, uh, I might stay for an extra cupcake and work on my crossword puzzle a little bit longer. And, uh, you know, if I had done that that day, it would have been a problem. I had an appointment waiting for me to do the mm -hmm. Bruce Treadmill test. I uh, can't remember his last name, but his name is Terry. Mm -hmm. Went upstairs, we were in mid-conversation, and then the bomb went off. And uh, that changed my life. Indeed. Indeed. That's, that's, you know, 15 minutes makes a difference. That's right. That's why you should always be on time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Although I'm sure there's a bigger lesson there than that. So working, doing the physical therapy, assisting, working the front desk, working at the corporate fitness center, then this bomb goes off and now you need to find another job. So where did you end up after that? Right. Uh, so I did need to find another job. And the fitness company, which owned and managed, rather, the Executive Fitness Center, kept me employed for some period of time still. And they were passing me around to other locations that they had in the area, which was great. And I appreciated that. But I hadn't really found another home. And so I started looking and putting out my app, you know, applications elsewhere. And <clears throat> a, uh, an ad appeared in the Times Help Wanted section at the time that was looking for a general manager of a gym chain, which although it was really more of a studio at the time, called Crunch Fitness. And I had seen the ads for Crunch Fitness, and I thought they were funny. They made me laugh. And I remember when I saw them, I was I thought to myself, like, that's the kind of place that I should be, a place that doesn't always take themselves too seriously, knows how to have fun. And when the opportunity came up uh, to interview for a position there, I did. I was hired at the beginning of September 19... 93 as the general manager for the studio slash gym at 83rd Street and Columbus Avenue, um, or 83rd in Amsterdam, rather. And uh, that's when my career at Crunch started, and I was there for uh, just over 13 more years. Wow, that's a long time with one company. Right, yeah. Crunch at the mm -hmm. time was really small. We had three studios, um, and about seven, eight months after I started, we closed one of those two studios. The other two were downtown in the Far West Village and near Union Square, we closed the one in the Far West Village because of noise complaints. We uh, uh -huh. we just you know we were in a situation. You were too where, loud. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was too a, rowdy. Yeah, and it was a uh, it was a facility that what you know it was. Know my secret. It wasn't really uh, set up for success. So mm -hmm. the amount of capital that we would have to invest in that space, the return on investment, wouldn't have made sense. So we pulled out, focused our effort on the two other locations. And then began to grow the business from there, which obviously has gone really well. I mean, Crunch is still going today, growing mm -hmm. at a, a hyper rate, and it's uh, it's great. It's a, it, it makes me happy to know that I was just a, 
a small part of that uh, story at the very beginning. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to the Physical Culture Music and Art Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. You can make a donation to Radio Free Brooklyn, which is fully tax deductible. They are a, we are a 501c3 organization. And we're going to take a minute now to hear from Faux Fitness Products and their new fitness tracker. UBIT is the most advanced fitness tracker yet. Based on patented behavior modification and prediction software, UBIT makes other trackers and relationships obsolete. Other fitness trackers only tell you your heart rate, steps, and sleep. UBIT does that and more. UBIT is your personal coach. It wakes you up, gets you going, tracks your bowel movements and urination. UBIT is your personal valet. It places your favorite coffee order and does your grocery shopping. UBIT is your best friend. It knows your habits and is a good listener. The UBIT is your surrogate family. It gives you relationship advice and ends toxic relationships for you. The UBIT wants what's best for you. It shocks you if you even think of overeating, locks your doors to stop you from going out and partying, and calls SWAT if you try to smuggle ice cream into the house. Other fitness trackers fall short. UBIT knows what's best for you. Interface available in male and female voice. 9mm, 10mm, 38 special, and 357 Magnum models available. Comes in neck, ankle, and wrist versions. High voltage taser accessory available. Lifetime warranty and service contract required. Service termination only through court issued restraining order. The FDA has not substantiated these claims. Current litigation precludes shipping in the contiguous United States. And we're back. This is Physical Culture, Music, and Art, and we're here with Roger Harvey, the CEO of Switch Playground USA former COO at Crunch Fitness. And Roger was talking about how he got started in the fitness business and what he was doing at Crunch. And Roger, you know, I've known you for a few years now, and we've never really talked about this. I know that your mother was a dancer. That's right. That's right. My mother grew up. She uh, dropped out of high school to dance uh, on Broadway and in vaudeville stages. mm -hmm. Back in the uh, 1940s and 50s. What's always interested me, and I assume that at least in part this comes from your mother, is you do everything you do, even when you approach fitness and when you approach management especially, you put on a show, for lack of a better word. And I don't mean that you're pretentious, but... You did come up with this idea that the best storyteller wins. And so you seem very cognizant of the creative aspect of what you do in fitness or probably in your life in general. Could you speak to that a little bit, where that comes from? Uh, Well, you're spot on. It comes from my mother. Um, As you or anybody else who's known me for a long period of time or maybe somebody who's only known me for a day or two, understands, I often reference quotes. I find quotes are a helpful way for me to guide my way from one decision to the next because they help apply the the quotes that I rely upon are things sort of like running plays, like the same way a quarterback calls Mm -hmm. plays that are suited to the defense that they might see on the field in front of them. 
I'll reference a quote, which is essentially a play. How am I going to base my decision-making in the context of the situation that I'm in? One of my favorite quotes that I share is one that my mother told me when I asked her if she had a piece of advice. This was recently. Um, this is about less than a year before she passed over. Uh, I said, Mom, do you have any, like, what's one good piece of life advice that you have for me? And she said, <clears throat> you're only as good as your last show. And that's obviously something that comes from her performing experience. And she's right. And I, it, it helped with this process of self-awareness that, that I am undergoing. And I realized that if uh, you mentioned the, the reference to the best storyteller wins. And by the way, I do not think I'm the best storyteller. Mm-hmm. I just use that as a guideline to say, well, this is what I endeavor to do. If I'd like to win, then I'm going to do my best to be a great storyteller. And as you're familiar with, uh, I don't know where the censor button is, right? But no, one of my other personal—it's internet radio. You can right. One of my other want, personal philosophies okay. is that you should bring your A game, or you should stay the fuck home. And so, if I'm going to bring myself into the world and I'm going to interact with other people, then they deserve the very best that I have to offer. And I go through that process. And I, one of my objectives is to push myself to failure every day. Uh, at something, the same way that you train a body, you might train and push yourself to failure so that you now know where your limits are. I push myself to failure at something every day because that's how I get better. And um, and that's really evolved over the course of time where I uh, this understanding and appreciation for the time and experiences that others share with me. Those are lessons that I treasure. And it would be... It would be rude to to not bring my best effort to to believe that I am performing every single day, and that's really what underlies it. It's a it's a a constant process that I force myself through. Some days I do better than others, um, but I always bring my absolute best effort. The be- what you see today is the best I have to offer, mm-hmm. and tomorrow, somehow, I will find a way to to be even better, and that's the progression that I that I mandate of myself. Mm-hmm. It's I don't know if your mother ever said this, but it sounds very similar not only to that you're only as good as your last show, but also that you have to do the same show six days a week, right? twice on Sundays, and each audience is paying and deserves the best performance. Even though it's the Sunday matinee or the Wednesday evening show, they're still paying the same price as the Thursday and Friday night people, and they still deserve your your A game, your A performance, and you need to figure out a way to muster that, to manifest that from yourself each time as a performer, but also clearly you've taken that into what you do. Right, and I, I have found a way that works. Uh, it's called practice. But mm-hmm. if, if I intend to tell a good story that offers hope and provides happiness, then I should practice storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I do on a daily basis. And it's not accurate to say that I've created a program for storytelling. It would be more accurate to say that I've discovered a program for storytelling that I follow. So every single day, I remind myself to value the audience. Those mm-hmm. people that are kind and patient enough to invest their time listening to what I have to say. <clears throat> I practice remembering my purpose, which is to help others. I pause 
strategically. All of the things that I intend to do that day, I find ways to practice them along the way. I invest more than just words. I remain ready to evolve, but I also remember what I stand for. And so I'm willing to not evolve if it's something that I feel is worth standing for and risking everything. I'm prepared to do the unexpected when required. Uh, and um, I do my best to live a story that solves problems. And following that program, reminding myself of it on a daily basis, it seems to work out. It requires a bit of faith. Sometimes things mm -hmm. will happen. And I don't understand why. I'm confused. And I remember confusion is a sign that you're on the right path. And oh, is it, there's a... a, a uh, a wonderful writer named John Franklin who said, if the universe doesn't seem to make sense, it's foolish to blame the universe. Mm -hmm. and, and so I keep that in mind. Because and didn't Mayor Koch say, I can explain it, but I can't understand it for you? <laughs> yeah, something like that. And so I find that's really un underlies the things that I, that I focus on doing. Um, again, some days are better than others. Of course. Every day, mm -hmm. every day is a learning experience. And, as it turns out, it does develop into a show. And some days it's a real show. Like it's a radio show right now. Mm -hmm. So good that I, I've been practicing been, because exactly. I apparently expected to be here at some mm -hmm. point. So whether it's the elevator pitch or you meet somebody on the street or it's a radio show, it's bring your A game. That's right. Be ready it, to engage and I, talk to somebody. I, I believe, again, it, my perspective might not be the same as other people's, but I believe there's always an audience there listening. It could be the NSA, uh, or but... <laughs> Right, but but legitimately, there's an office. I talk to my plants. I read to my plants. I talk to pets. Um, I make a concerted effort to be polite and friendly when I bump into strangers on the street or in stores. Because again, bringing your A game isn't just for the people that you know and recognize. It's it's for those who you don't. Right. Everybody, every stranger could be a friend that you just haven't met yet. And <clears throat> uh, that that's the the process that I follow. And I'm. One of the crazy people that you'll see walking down the street in Manhattan talking to myself. But I'm not really talking to myself. I'm speaking to an audience that maybe other people don't recognize, but I believe that they're there. And that's part of my practice. Sometimes I'm kind and I put one of my earbuds in so people think that I'm on the phone. But yeah, but uh -huh. that, I'm, the, I'm one of those guys. Cool. So can you tell us a little bit about your work with Switch Playground now? That's the newest job. That's correct. Uh, so I arrived at Switch late last summer. Uh, it's a great story. I'll, I'll save that maybe for a little bit later or maybe mm -hmm. another episode, how I ended up at Switch, because it is a, 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 an example of the universe working the right way and putting me where I was supposed to be. Switch is a concept founded by <clears throat> an amazing fitness professional named Steve Uriah. He, uh, boy, it's difficult to describe what he does. He inspires a tremendous amount of people. He's a year younger than me. He has really, uh, but he, I feel like kid with people. I say, I look like the before picture. Steve looked like the after, <laughs> right? The, the method that he's created for fitness at Switch is really amazing. The workouts are fun. The workouts are get results. And it, it manipulates time because you're having such a good time and you're challenged. It's a high intensity interval training workout in a room with music and a live DJ and multiple, and an instructor and multiple trainers. And time moves so quickly when you're in there. It literally is manipulating time. And it gets results. And where does the playground 
part of the name come from? Well, the playground comes from the fact that you know, when you were kids, you'd go out on the playground and you do all you, everybody was fit and active and they're running around. You're on the swings, you're on the merry-go-round, you're running off in the fields. There were a lot of different things to do. It in the switch playground class workout, you go through 20 different stations. So some of them are cardio machines and the various, you're doing plyometric exercises, you're doing strength exercises. The workout changes every day, 365 days a year. Steve writes a new program, so you don't repeat the same workout twice. And that product is unique. I've been in the fitness industry for almost 30 years. I've seen a lot of different things. I was lucky enough through the course of my experience at Crunch to experience a lot of amazing things. Um, and just in general, I've, I've, I mean, this industry is always evolving and it impresses me so much what people are doing out there, what they come up with. Joanna, what, earlier listening to her, I just kept smiling. I'm like, oh, this is an amazing person. So I love the industry. I love it because of that. And what we've been able to do at Switch, based on what Steve has created, now we're crafting the delivery system so that we're able to provide it in the right way. We focus on our brand. We stand for change. Our purpose is to help others. And we, we the everybody on that team, follows the same fundamental job description. We refer to it as the main switch. If, if I'm going to show up for work at Switch today, then I'm going to do my best to be welcoming, honest, attentive, and always doing my best to make someone's day better. And that's everybody's job description there. And again, it's a formula that it can't lose. All, all that we're going to do is win or, or really win. That's uh, I like the, the main switch. That's great. Now, since we are here on Radio Free Brooklyn, can you tell us a little bit about Roger Radio? <laughs> Roger Radio is a game. <laughs> if you would like to figure out the game, then you have to figure in the people. It's sort of this game, a pattern that I've discovered in the universe. And I, it's a way that I... It's a way that I have more fun every day. And so I've been crafting this thing over the course of many, many years. Uh, if you've seen the movie with Richard Dreyfuss, it's called uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Mm -hmm. and, and a correct analogy would be to describe Roger Radio as Mr. Harvey's Opus. It is this lifelong project, something that I'm growing and developing. And it's, it's a game which has some interesting points. People can try to play the game. But it's difficult to try to play the game because, you know, as Yoda said, right, do or do not. There is no try. Some people play different components and levels of the game. And I expect later this year it will actually is going to develop into a website and some awareness training protocols that uh, will just share some of the things I've discovered over time with, uh, with a greater population, which is, again, for me, it's just all about having fun. Awesome. Thank you very much, Roger. You have been listening to Radio Free Brooklyn and the Physical Culture, Music, and Art Show. And we will be back next Wednesday with new guests at 9 a.m.